Well, last week we, um, Shannon and I hosted a Hawaiian luau pig roast at our house. We had about 75 people over. And uh, the place I ordered the pig from said that each pig would only feed 32 people. So I got two pigs. Well, turns out <laughs> uh, everyone went through their first serving, their second serving, their third serving, and we hadn't even cut into the second pig yet. And I was devastated. I'm like, what have I done? I was fine. The pig had to die. But I was like, I wanted to make sure I fed enough people. Then, so we sent everyone home with a gallon bag of uh, pig. We'll be having pig for a month from that thing. So it was a ton of fun. We really enjoyed it. And um, the other events, we got one today. The tailgating party has plenty of room if you want to pop back over here after third service at one o'clock and uh, join them for some burgers and, and football. Not the, cow, not the uh, Rams and Chargers. That'd be quite epic. But the Cowboys are, are playing. It should be fun. So, well, we are in the last chapter of John 21, finishing our Life in Him series. Next week, we're starting a three-part series called Win the War in Your Mind. I've got a graphic to show you how chaotic your mind is. Here, this is a real mind at Cornerstone, all right? And so uh, we're gonna be talking about anxiety, depression, stress, and, and the lies that are, that are in our mind that the scriptures wanna show us the truth around these matters. What does God's grace and truth look like when it comes to mental health and the things that we, we go through. And so that'll be the next three weeks here at Cornerstone. I'm excited to get into that with us. In John chapter 21, if you're reading the book of John, when you get to the end of John chapter 20, it feels like the book is over. There's a couple lines where it just seems like, oh, I guess that wraps it up. But we haven't wrapped up the Peter story. If it ends in John chapter 20, we assume Peter denied Christ three times and left the faith. But that's not what happens. There's a restoration that happens in the life of Peter that is so important for us to look at. Peter feels defeated and disqualified from ministry because of his denial. And so the question is, does the good news still apply to him after such a major failure? And what about us? Can we sin so greatly that we've crossed a line where God says he's done with us? Well, thankfully, you've probably heard the phrase that God is in the restoration business. And that's a great little catchphrase tagline because it is so true that God wants to restore us. Forgiveness with God can be instantaneous. The moment we repent and get right with God, God will forgive us. But our sin causes so much pain that the restoration of broken relationships and broken trust, it takes time. And the scriptures speak of that this morning. And so whether it's something you've done at work where you are just not trusted anymore, or it could be a friendship or a family relationship where, you know, from, from hurting a child to a parent to betraying a spouse, these are painful things in life that we sometimes deal with. What does God say about restoration? Well, last week, as I was thinking through restoration, just last week, uh, an article popped up about Casio watches. These are, you know, they're talking specifically about the 1983 Casio G-Shock watch. A watch that costs like 50 bucks or so when you bought it. And if you lose it, you just buy another one. It's not really a big deal. And, and they're doing this factory restoration program for those Casio watches. You're like, what in the world? Normally, companies only do a restoration at the factory if it's a high-end Swiss luxury watch or something. What about a Casio G-Shock watch? Well, there's this trending vintage watch movement 
that I blame hipsters for, that is, is causing these 1983 watches, the originals and a few after that, to be so valued that I saw one. I just Googled it on, Googled it on eBay, and, and I found the cheapest one you could get of the original model, and this looked like a dump truck rolled over it, destroyed $1,749. You're like, I need to go to a garage sale immediately, right? This is just like this cheap little watch. How is, it, how is this happening? Well, for two months only, right now and next month, you can ship back that watch and they will take it apart, put a new band on, a new screen, they'll put a new battery in it. For only $100, they wanted to take advantage of the trend and, and get people their watches back out there. If Casio's like, hey, if we're trending, awesome. It was a surprise to us, but let's get behind this movement. But I read it and really liked it because it's a beat up watch that you have to mail back to where it was created. An expert has to work on it. And then if you do this program, the creator, the designer of that watch will send a special message back to you. And I was like, you know, that's kind of what the Lord wants us to do. We go through life and we are beat up and we are run over and just really hurting. And we go back to, to who created us. We go back to God, the expert who knows how to deal with our soul and our weaknesses. And he sends us back with a new message saying, you are a new creation. You are loved, you are still my child, no matter what you have done. And so as we read of God's grace to Peter today, it will give us hope that God has grace for us and can restore us no matter what the failures are that we are responsible for in our lives. Now, God helps us in restoration before we're even ready for it, during it, and even after the restoration has happened. Let's look at verse one of chapter 21. Afterward, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Galilee. It happened this way. Simon, Peter, Thomas, Nathaniel, the sons of Zebedee, two other disciples were together. I'm going out to fish, Peter told them. And they said, well, we'll go with you. And so they went out and got into the boat. But that night they caught nothing. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. He called out to them, friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. He said, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. And when they did, they were unable to haul the net because of the large number of fish. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it is the Lord. As soon as Peter heard him say that, it is the Lord. He wrapped his outer gar garment around him for he had taken it off and jumped into the water. This is all happening before Peter is fully restored, before the process even starts. And so we can learn from it how God is at work before we're even ready to repent, to get right with him. And first, we see that he won't let life feel satisfying when we are still in our rebellious state, when we have not come back to him in repentance and saying, and we have apologized to him and said, I was wrong, you are right. You are now the king over my life, not me. If we're gonna stay in that state, it's not gonna be satisfying. Peter. Peter gets a hard time for this, where people are like, oh, he's going back to his old job. To give him credit, he's in Galilee, which is where Jesus told the disciples to wait. And so he hasn't given up on this yet, but he doesn't know what to do with his time. And so he goes out to fish. Well, this is something at least I know how to do well. I failed at ministry, at least I can do well at fishing. And all night and not a single fish to show for it. That's just like punch the guy while he's down. He can't catch anything. And it reminds me, of what Jesus said in John chapter 15, apart from me, you can do nothing. Without me there, you can do nothing. 
And sometimes this is what it feels like when we're in our life of sin and we've turned from the Lord and we've, we've crossed this line. Sometimes the enemy whispers to you, ah, just, just stay there in your sin, right? And we're in this life of sin and, and it doesn't even feel good. In some ways, it's like bubble gum. This is a horrible analogy, but go with it. It's like bubble gum where you're like, oh, you chew it and there's this flavor. And like five minutes later, you just got this gooey stuff in your mouth. My kids refuse to spit out bubble gum until demanded. They're like, no, there's still a little flavor. There's still a little flavor. There's no more flavor. I know you're lying to me. You just want to chew on this gum. And that's how we can be in our rebellious lifestyle. We're like, no, I'm going to, I'm just going to, I've got to find some satisfaction in it. It doesn't feel as good anymore. Well, sin has a temporary pleasure and then it's gone. And yet we keep chewing. We keep going on there. Jesus won't let us feel satisfied in a life apart from him. But we also see that God loves us just the same, even before we're ready to repent. God is a good father in heaven who loves us. In Mark chapter 16, an angel looking at some of the disciples says, go and tell his disciples and Peter, he is going ahead of you into Galilee and there you will see him. I think this shows us that even though Peter in his mind thought it was over, like how more over could it be that he denied Jesus three times the last time he makes eye contact with Jesus, cries and runs away and he realizes, oh, I'm caught. Jesus saw me deny him three times. It's over. He's like, I'm not going to be a leader. I'm not going to be in ministry. But the angel wanted to remind Peter, you haven't been cut from the team, right? Go tell the disciples and Peter, because if it just said, go tell the disciples, Peter would naturally think, oh, that doesn't include me anymore. By calling out Peter specifically, God is reminding him, I still love you. I still care for you. I still have a plan for you. And that's hard to hear sometimes when we are in a rebellious state, when we've crossed that line and we're kind of staying there, to be reminded that God still loves us no matter what we've done. That can, be, that can wreck our hearts, but it's the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. And the kindness of Jesus is shown in this story towards Peter. But also, we see that Jesus reveals himself to us, even before we're ready, even when we won't go to God to start that process of restoration, Jesus comes to us. He reveals himself to us. Verse four says, Jesus stood on the shore, right? They're out there fishing, and all of a sudden, Jesus shows up and inserts himself into the story. And as soon as Peter realizes that this is the Lord, he jumps into the water, doesn't wait at all, and he goes for it. He starts to, to get closer to God again. And it reminds me that we should not linger in our sin. That is a dark, sad place for us to be. Sometimes when we cross a major line and we realize, oh boy, I've done it now, we, we think, well, I might as well do that a few more times while I'm already in trouble and in this sin, and then I'll get right with the Lord. Then I'll get right with these people that I've heard. That's a lie from the enemy. We think, oh, what more damage could I do? A lot more damage. Peter doesn't linger in his sin. He is quick to go to the Lord, and we should be quick to ask for forgiveness. There's a new saying in the Dean house that I've been hearing whenever it's always in a different room. It's never in the same room as me. But as the kids are playing in a different room and all of a sudden Titus starts screaming and crying because somebody heard him, immediately afterwards, Gideon will say, Titus, I'm sorry, please forgive me. As quick as possible. Titus, he's like holding on to Titus. Titus just trying to get to his mom and dad to say, look, I'm dying. I have a little cut or I'm... And, and, and Gideon is trying to deal with it immediately because he knows if Titus makes it to us, and he hasn't forgiven him yet, he's gonna be in a lot of trouble. And so it's 
completely manipulative. I, told, I, don't, I barely believe it really is a real repentance, but he's, but he's saying, Titus, please forgive me real quick and hold it onto his back. And uh, we're, not, we're not buying it. And Titus still, Titus is a little boy, so he wants to go rat on his brother and get him in eternal trouble. But that's the phrase I'm hearing in this house. But it's, it's wise to quickly repent and ask for forgiveness. The scriptures beg us to get right with God and not to remain in our sins. Isaiah 55 says this, seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake their ways and the unrighteous their thoughts. Let them turn to the Lord and he will have mercy on them and to our God for he will freely pardon. We should turn to the Lord while he is near. Don't presume that the Lord will always, always be there, always you know, softening your heart. You resist the Lord enough and your heart gets callous. Today is the day of salvation to go to him so he can start restoration. And in verses eight through 17, we see this active work of restoration. It says, the other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish. And they were not far from shore, about 100 yards. And when they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish you have just caught. So Simon Peter climbed back into the boat and dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish, 153. But even with so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. And none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them and did the same with the fish. This was now the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Peter, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of Jonah, John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my sheep. This is God's grace during the process of restoration once we're willing to be a part of it. And the first thing I see is that God heals our broken memories. The last time we saw, we see in verse nine here, a fire of burning coals. The last time in the Gospel of John that we see this phrase is exactly the moment when Peter is by a fire of burning coals denying Jesus three times. He was warming himself by the fire, denying Jesus. But we see in this passage, I believe the author John is trying to show us that Jesus is changing the association of this memory. Every time, if this didn't happen, Peter would go by some, some burning coals. He would be reminded of his failure. Now Jesus is making sure there's some burning coals right there, and he's going to restore and heal this memory. No longer would Peter only think of his betrayal, his denial, but now he would be reminded of the love and mercy of Jesus as he saw those coals. What a great reminder for Peter at this moment. Now, I, I can't imagine the pain that must be in these different situations that we're talking about today of betrayal, right? I mean, what more pain is there in life when, the, when a spouse is betrayed? when a spouse discovers there's pornography, when a sp I mean, this, this, this kind of pain cuts to the deepest part of our soul. But God doesn't want us to be haunted our whole lives by these, by these horrible memories. God can not only restore our broken relationships, but even when those relationships can't be restored, he can restore our hearts. 
He can restore our memories and he can give us the strength to get through those things. Jesus is changing the association of that, me of that memory. He's also offering opportunities for faithfulness. We see in verse 10, Jesus said, bring some of the fish you've caught. And Peter's the one that jumps up and does this. The request was to all of the disciples. It wasn't really a big deal. The other disciples weren't sinning by not jumping up, but Peter jumps up and he is the one that is faithful to this little request of Jesus. Peter knew he blew it big time when he had his big temptation. And so what is he doing now? He's trying to obey at every little command to build up and strengthen himself for the next big temptation. And it's the small moments of obedience that condition us for the larger ones. If we want to be ready to pass that test, that big, that big temptation, and we don't want to hurt people around us, we need to say yes to the Lord as much as possible. We need to not recognize uh, you know, some areas of my life aren't a big deal. No. Anytime we rebel against the Lord, whether anyone is seeing or not, it's a big deal and an opportunity to fortify ourselves in Christ. Luke 16 says, whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. We start small when we are rebuilding our integrity, when we are rebuilding our trust. Sometimes it's crazy to think when there's been a massive betrayal in a marriage and one, one spouse is like, well, I said, I'm sorry, let me back in the bedroom. As if candles are gonna be lit the next day. And it's like, it's like no, no you, you start small. You start small in rebuilding trust. Right? You, you rebuild the small things and you earn that trust a little bit at a time. That's a fair approach that we see in the scriptures. If you can be trusted with a little, you can be trusted with a lot. And so Peter here is showing that he wants to be faithful again. He'll obey even when it means go get some fish and it doesn't seem like a moral thing. But also during this restoration, we see that Jesus extends his friendship to Peter again. It says in verse 12, come and have breakfast with me. It's often the lack of friendship with God that gets us in trouble in the first place. We've put distance between us and God. We don't check in with him as much during prayer and reading the scriptures. We don't come to church as often and we think we're okay. We're not that. And then boom, we have no strength when it comes to fighting off temptation. We need to work on our relationship with God. It's one of the best things we can do to strengthen relationships to avoid this type of pain. It's just to continue to date your spouse, to invest in your friendships. Right? It couldn't be more important to say, I'm going to strengthen this relationship, not let, us, let it go um, you know, on autopilot at all. Now we need to work on our friendship with God so he strengthens our inner man, our soul, our hearts, and our relationships with those around us. And it's during this process of restoration that we wanna rush things. And so we see that God gives us grace to be patient and wait for this process to happen in the right timing. Verse 14 says, this was the third time that Jesus appeared. If I were Peter, I'd have to imagine that the first two times Jesus appeared, I would wish that we could have this conversation about restoration. I mean, it's great to see Jesus is alive and that changes everything. But what does that change for Peter at that moment? For the other disciples, wow, this is real. This is true for Peter. Wow, this is, he really is God. And I denied him three times. I, oh my goodness. Peter probably wished the restoration would start earlier, but in God's timing, it started when it started. It takes time to rebuild something that is broken, and we can't rush that process. 
How many of you remember that horrible fire at the Notre Dame Cathedral in, in France that was a few years ago? I mean, it was, it just wrecked the place. I wanna, I wanna show a quick 30 second video about how they're doing restoring that cathedral. Entre 5 heures et une journée par panneau, à peu près, à nettoyer en fait comme ça au bâtonnet. Et puis parfois, si on a un panneau plus compliqué, on va pouvoir mettre deux ou trois jours. Some of those panels take two to three days to work on. That, that fire was devastating. It, was, it almost felt like their country's 9-11. When you see that spire fall down, it would just discourage so many people. And they committed to rebuilding it to be just as good as it was before. Some of these stained glass windows hadn't been cleaned in 159 years since they were installed. And so they had to search the country for experts that were, that were working with glass and artisans, and they had to apply, and they were selected to be a part of this long process of restoring the stained glass windows. They're taking the time to also work on some paintings as they're, as they're fixing the building. Nothing about it is fast. Everything is slow. They're hoping that from the start of the fire to the restoration, that it'll be five years. They wanna open on the day, the anniversary of the fire. That's their goal, five years with countless millions of dollars being spent on it, it takes time. If we're honest with ourselves, our sin that breaks relationships, it's devastating, and we can't expect a quick apology is just gonna fix things. Instantly, you can be right with God, but we need to put the work in when it comes to restoring the relationships of those that we've hurt around us. Our sin is much more dangerous and harmful than, than any fire that we can imagine. But God will give us the patience that we need. Don't say, oh, they're not working according to my timeline. I'm the one that offended, but they're not working according to my timeline. I guess they don't want restoration, I'm, I'm done. No, go slow, have hope in the Lord and recognize it's a slow process. And during this restoration process, God helps us by giving us endurance through a painful process. It's very painful. Right? I mean, nothing about this seems comfortable for Peter. Verse 15, Jesus says, do you love me more than these? We don't know if Jesus is pointing to the boats, the fish, saying, hey, do you love me more than your career? Is he pointing to the other disciples? Do you love me more than them? I think it's something like that, but I think, I think he's trying to humble Peter, not trying, to, not trying to take him down a notch. He's just trying to give him a proper humility because it's Peter that thought too highly of himself. In Mark chapter 14, Peter's the one, when Jesus predicted that everyone would be scattered and they would all leave him, Peter said, even if all fall away, I will not. So Peter pointed at the other disciples and said, even if all of them fall away, I will stand by your side with a sword and, and protect you. Now, Judas ended up betraying Jesus, but the other ones that were left here, they're the ones that didn't deny Jesus. And so Jesus is pointing out and saying, how much do you really love me? But this, this is part of restoration, recognizing our weakness. That's the only way to strengthen yourself for a coming temptation is to recognize how weak you really are. God's forgiveness and grace, it breaks us and it humbles us in the best way that we need it to. God's grace doesn't make someone say, well, it wasn't really a big deal. Or, oh, you're overreacting. Other people do worse. That's not God's grace if you hear phrases like that. That's someone in pride 
rushing the process that has not yet been broken or humbled. God's grace breaks us and humbles us so that we can be rebuilt. This was a painful process for Peter. Verse 17, it says, Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him a third time, do you love me? That hurt Peter, right? It's like, I keep saying that I, that I love you, Lord. Peter knows he denied the Lord three times. And I believe what Jesus is doing is giving Peter three opportunities to say that he loves the Lord. He's trying to wipe the slate clean. Yes, you denied me three times, but look, just now you said three times in a row that you love me. I believe you, Peter. We're good. We're, we're, we're back at even. You're, you're on my team. This is a, an opportunity for restoration. It's a restorative moment. This is God's grace building Peter up and saying, you're gonna be okay. So Peter's restored at this moment. He is right with God. He's right with Jesus. He's back in, in leadership there. God has restored him. But what about God's grace after restoration? Because I think Peter's probably nervous saying like, well, I still feel the same. Am I gonna do this again? Look at verse 18. Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you don't wanna go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, follow me. Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved was following them, right? And, and he said, Lord, what about him? What about, what about this guy? Verse 22, Jesus answered, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? You must follow me. Because of this, the rumor spread among the believers that this disciple would not die, but Jesus didn't say he wouldn't die, only that if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? This is the disciple who testifies to these things and who wrote them down, and we know that his testimony is true. Jesus did many other things as well. If every one of them were written down, I suppose that even the whole world would not have room for the books that would be written. What does God's grace look like after restoration? Well, I believe God is trying to show us that he is going to sustain us for the rest of our lives. We cross a line and we think, what's to prevent me from crossing this line again? If we are a part of, of God-honoring restoration, if we submit ourselves to the process, we don't short-circuit it, God is saying, I will make you faithful. I'm the one changing you. It's not you being stronger next time. I'm gonna do a great work. Now, Jesus communicates this in like a backwards kind of a way that's a little confusing. He does this by, by in verse 19 saying, you're gonna be crucified to Peter. This, this is gonna indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. I imagine Peter was thinking after he's restored, will I deny Jesus again? Jesus's answer is, no, you're gonna be crucified. How is that encouraging? Well, Peter is being told, if you're, if you're worried about denying me again, I can tell you, you won't do that again. In fact, since I'm God and I know the future, there will come a time that you will die a faithful martyr when you are presented in an even more dangerous situation than watching your savior be crucified. But when you are actively about to be crucified and you're given an out and told, if you just deny Jesus as Lord, we'll let you go. In that moment, you will choose to be martyred because you will be faithful to me. I will make you faithful. I will finish the work that I started in you. This is surprisingly encouraging, although I'm sure it was still a shock for Peter to hear what was going on. But we also see that God's grace after restoration is found in that he still has good plans for you. 
No matter what you've done, whether the restoration was successful with other people or not, God still has good plans for you. Verse 21, Peter saw John and asked, Lord, well, what about him? Like, I'm gonna get crucified? What about this guy, right? And, and Jesus basically tells him to stop comparing himself. Stop looking at other people. Be grateful for the life that you have and be content and, and move forward. Don't wonder what your life would be like if you had not crossed the line and committed that great sin. Don't always think, oh, things would be different with my, my family and my friends and my job. If I just didn't do that, don't do that. Don't compare yourself to other people. Trust that God still has a good plan for you. The, the cure to this toxic thought of jealousy is very blunt. Jesus says, here's the answer. Well, what is that to you, Peter? You follow me. Stop worrying about other people. Just follow me. Right? You got into this trouble because you stopped following me. You stopped trusting me. Just, just follow me. I think back to the time in the Old Testament where God's people, Judah, they completely abandoned God. They denied God. They picked up other gods and said, we're going to worship these false gods instead of the true and living God. And what did God do? Well, God promised them that if they were going to abandon the true God and follow these false gods from Canaan, that eventually they would be exiled. And he allowed the nation of Babylon to come and take them into exile. But that didn't mean that they weren't his children. That didn't mean he didn't love them, but they were constantly choosing rebellion against God and false belief. And so God had to humble them by sending them into exile. And so this is a very relatable moment for someone like Peter, who denied Jesus completely and thinks it's all over. These are God's people in Babylon. And then God begins to restore them. He doesn't fix their situation for 70 years, but he begins to restore them. And you start hearing them cry out to God in the Psalms. And it's in this context that we have a very familiar verse, Jeremiah 29, 11. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, to give you a hope and a future. When we think we have crossed the line so much so that we are under, under the judgment of God and there's, there's really no coming back from it, we are in the same position as Judah in Babylon. And yet in that worst case scenario, God says to them, there's a future and a hope for you no matter what you've done. To Peter who looked at Jesus and denied him three times, there was a plan for him to be a leader in the church. And no matter what we have done, even if we can't fix it here on earth, God has a bright future planned for all of us if we will yield ourselves to him, if we won't linger in our sin and our darkness, but we go to him as quickly as possible. Say, Lord, restore me, restore my relationship with you. And I'm, I'm begging you to restore my relationship with others, but I at least need to be right with you if I'm gonna make it. And he speaks to us that he has a future and a hope for us. Jeremiah 29, 11 sounds like a restoration project that would take 70 years, but it would happen. Our series, Life in Him, is still possible even after major failure. And so, Father, we ask that you would give us this hope. Lord, 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 many, many of us, all of us, at some time in our life, we're gonna cross lines that hurt people around us, that break relationships with those that we love. And there'll be times when we think, I can't fix this. And we're right, we can't fix it. We need to go back to our Creator, we need, we need the Holy Spirit to help us and you will restore our lives. So Lord, if we're in the middle of that process, I pray that you would help us to go deeper in our friendship with you, that you would give us patience to wait, endurance to, to get through this painful process. 
But for those that are still rebelling against you and haven't started this restoration process, Lord, would your kindness please lead them to repentance? Would they have a distaste for their sin and just not be satisfied apart from a right relationship with you? And Lord, it is our prayer that where possible, that you would mend broken relationships in this church. We believe that you can do it, Lord. Resurrection power is at work. The gospel is for the most difficult moments in our lives. And so we pray you would bring healing in this room today. In Jesus' name, amen.